everybody, welcome to Stock Bites for Wednesday, July 29th. We were going to have a 30-year bond trader join us today, but his compliance department nixed that. Shout out to all the broker-dealer compliance departments out there for being 10 years behind the times. One of these days, they'll figure out that people, you know, people's information gathering techniques are changing. They're listening to podcasts. They're not reading books. They're listening to audiobooks. They're not reading books or newspapers. And 10 years from now, once uh, broker-dealer compliance departments figure that out, we'll be on to something else. So shout out to you guys for being up at the times. Thankfully, I was able to connect with the trader offline, and I'd like to share a couple of the answers that he gave me. I, I think that they're particularly relevant to the millennial investor like myself and you know, for everybody else out there. Things are changing in the bond world. Uh, before we get into the show, big shout out to Steve Straza with All Star Charts. We had him on for an interview last week. Steve is a market technician for All Star Charts. You can follow him at S Straza. He publishes the Under the Hood newsletter for All Star Charts every week. He's basically, you know, doing technical analysis on the most popular stocks on Robinhood and figuring out whether or not they're a buyer or not. So that was a really great interview. I highly suggest you check that out. Uh, this coming Monday, we'll be back with another Robin Hood Rewind. That's all I got. Let's get to the show. All right, so one of the first questions I asked this trader was whether or not millennials should invest in bonds. And... He responded, quote, millennials and everyone else should buy bonds as a percentage of their portfolio. And his reasoning, end quote, and his reasoning was that, you know, they pay more interest than bank deposits. Uh, they're generally not correlated to equities. And I think those are two interesting and things that were definitely true 20, 30 years ago, but I'm not sure that they still hold today. And, and just as some context here, uh, you know, a, a bond is a company's or a government is basically borrowing money with the intent to pay it back. And if you look at something like the U.S. government, uh, when they issue bonds, that's considered to be a risk-free debt. So the interest rate that they pay does not include credit risk. There's the market is saying there's no risk of default for the U.S. government. The interest rate that they have to pay is made up of the real interest rate. And the nominal, or I guess real interest rate plus inflation equals the nominal interest rate. So you got real interest rates and inflation. You know, the Fed has very recently come out and obviously lowered interest rates to all-time lows. We're at zero to 0.25% for the Fed's prime lending rate. And that's the rate that all these other uh, rates are built off of. The prime lending rate is what banks have to pay to each other, to, or I guess pay to the government to keep money there. And um, you know, it's, it's a building block for all other types of interest rates. So that's at zero, zero to 25 basis points. And it's been steadily declining over the last 40 years. And if you look at inflation, we are not having consumer price inflation, right? Like the, uh, for the most part, the value of your goods that you're buying is not growing all that fast. And I know that the Fed is targeting a 2% inflation rate and we're not there. Uh, it's below that. Obviously, you're seeing inflation in other areas like maybe equity prices or, or real estate in some cases. But 
for the purposes of this discussion and the purposes of fixed income, real interest rates and inflation are low. So the, the interest rate that you're paying, that you're receiving as a bondholder, you're right, it's more than a, a checking account or a savings account, but it's not very much. And this idea, if you've been to, if anybody, if any of you have been to a financial advisor, you've seen the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equity, 40% bonds. It pays on average 10% a year since 1960. It's called modern portfolio theory. It's the idea that you have a bucket of equity uh, and a bucket of bonds, and they can offset each other and get, you know, make gains at different times, right? When the equities sell off, the bonds will be there to protect your investment, to pay you dividends and, uh, and, and vice versa. Well, and that's, and that has worked for the last 50, 60 years. The last two crisis, the last two big pullbacks, and I'm just looking at 2008 and what happened in March. Um, that didn't, the modern portfolio theory, the modern portfolio, 60-40 portfolio didn't work. And that's because bonds sold off along with equity. And this, this has a chain reaction. When, you know, in March, the market's down 30% in a month, everybody's panic selling. And what these big institutions have, do, have been doing for the last 30, 40, 50 years is uh, financial trading has become more uh, complicated and technology has allowed for more and more products and, and leverage has become more commonplace. They, and, and you've had yields steadily decreasing over the last 40 years, 40, 50 years. Bond, excuse me, uh, you know, these hedge funds, institutional money managers, uh, the Invesco's and BlackRock's of the world, in order to juice the return, because they're not getting the, the juicy yield that they used to get out of the fixed income, in order to, to boost that, they've been using leverage. In the same way that I can go to Fidelity and open a margin account, and I put in a thousand bucks and Fidelity goes, all right, you have $2,000 to invest now. If I go out and put $2,000 in company XYZ, and then the value of that investment falls, to 1500 bucks, for example, there's a 25% decline. Fidelity is going to come to me and say, you, it's a margin call. You don't have enough money invested based on today's prices. You have to either put more cash in to satisfy the margin call or sell your positions. And in 2008 and in specifically in March with the coronavirus sell-off, Big institutional money managers, the people who are running these 60-40 portfolios that most you know retirement plans are invested in and a lot of uh, America is invested in, they got margin called because they're levering their fixed income portfolios. And so it creates a chain reaction. When this company gets margin called, they have to sell. The next company gets margin called, they have to sell. And all of a sudden, you, it, it's, it's a fire sale. You have everybody selling. There's not a... There's, not enough buyers to keep the price up. And the, the prices of bonds declined, albeit less, uh, but they, they declined right alongside equities back in March and in 2008. And, and everybody was selling, you know, mom and pop, uh, retail investor, inst everybody was raising cash, trying to get out of uh, either levered positions or whatever. Cash was... Uh, quote unquote king, right? And you even see it with gold. Gold is supposed to be this non-correlated asset, but in the beginning of the great financial crisis in 2008, 
And in March of this past year, gold sold off right along with everything else. That's a function of these over, not over levered, but these big institutional players having to sell their positions because they're getting margin called. So if the, the interest that these bonds are paying you is, you know, negligible and the diversification that they're offering you is less and less consistent, what's the purpose of a guy like me who's, you know, in his mid thirties, young thirties, why would I invest in a, in a, in a bond? I'm not getting, you know, compare that to AT&T, which is trading at $30 a share and, and it has a dividend yield of 7%. They've increased their dividend every year, uh, for, for many, many years. Look at a company like Altria with an eight, eight and a quarter percent dividend yield. You know, that's 8% higher than what I could get in, uh, you know, almost 8% higher than what I can get in two year treasury. The other piece of this is pensions are incredibly underfunded. When they were created, people retired at 62 and died at 65. And you know, now people are living for 30, 40 years after they retire. Pensions are not being funded well enough, but they also have to match assets with liabilities. And if I go to work for a company and I'm going to retire there in 30 years, in 30 years, that's a liability for the company. They have to start paying me money in 30 years and they can calculate the value. Uh, you know, they have a formula that says, if you work for us this year, you're going to get this many raises and here's how much we're going to have to pay you every year until you pass away, right? Or whatever. And that, that's a liability for the company. Uh, they have to go out and match that liability with an asset. And typically what they'll do is they'll go out and buy a bond, a 30-year bond that, uh, you know, either a zero coupon, meaning it doesn't pay a coupon, they just buy it, it's, you know, whatever, 600 and it matures at 1,000. Uh, or they, you know, they can go out and invest in a coupon paying bond and get the, the, the principal back at the end. Well, the returns that they're getting off of these positions aren't enough to cover the liability. And I think you're going to start to see, this is just a little side tangent, but I think you're, you're going to start to see pensions entering the equity arena in a much bigger way, specifically the large cap value equity arena. These dividend paying companies, AT&T, uh, you know, Pfizer, uh, who else did I just named? Altria, Philip Morris, you know, these companies are paying four to eight times what they, what, what a pension can get in, uh, in the fixed income market. But, you know, why, why, why should I invest in bonds? And I wish I, you know, again, I wish I could have had this trader on to, to talk about this today, but I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the draw is right now. You know, muni bonds are a very popular investment for people moving into retirement. I'm not, I'm not sold that a general obligation muni bond is a great investment right now with, you know, the COVID hit to, to tax revenue that's happening in all these different states. You know, I live in the city of Houston. They had to use $20 million from their hurricane emergency fund to balance the budget for next year. And that's going to be happening all over the country. And this is a, a big city that I don't know how well they are fiscally managed, but I'm sure it's, it's worse than a lot of other places. And a general obligation muni bond obviously is backed by the full taxing authority of that state or municipality, but it's also subject to pension liability risk. Look at the state of Missouri. Uh, their largest pension, Mosier's, is only 60% funded. If they are unable to meet their future obligations, the state's going to go bankrupt. 
the state is backing, right? You know, the, the state is backing Mosher's. And if Mosher's can't pay out their obligations, as this happened in Detroit in 2008 or nine, happened in Stockton, California. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that general obligation muni bonds are a great bet right now either. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk to this trader about was, you know, kind of the next six months and what, what, what he sees playing out for the rest of the year. And there's obviously a ton of risk. There's a ton of uncertainty right now around when a vaccine is going to be developed, what the economic impact of this virus is going to be, how quickly uh, unemployment can rebound and what's going to happen with, uh, you know, people working from home and changing consumer trends and all that sort of stuff. I, I tend to think that it's going to be, uh, you know, th these risks are not fully baked into the market and, you know, it's going to take a little longer to get back to where we were than maybe the market's anticipating. But, you know, that's, I guess that's neither here nor there. We, I did want to talk to him about the election and, you know, what happens if Biden wins versus, uh, versus if Trump wins. And you know, he, he did bring up that if, if Biden wins, look, if Trump wins, it's business as usual. If you're, if you've been investing and I'm going to make the distinction here between investing and gambling. And I think there's parts of our audience that do one or the other. And there's maybe some parts that do both. If you look at like Kodak is up 400% in the last two days. I didn't even know that company was around anymore. Uh, they're no longer a camera operator for all those of you who didn't know. They're now making uh, uh, generic drug ingredients for American companies. And they just got some money from the U.S. government. But... You know, so if, if you've been, uh, I hope you've been, in, just buy, invest, invest in good companies. And, and if you, if Trump wins, it'll be more of the same. But if Biden wins, the corporate tax rate's going to go up. And, you know, that was one of the things that this trader brought up. I don't see that as a big problem. And here's why. The corporate tax rate, you know, I think Trump reduced it from 35 to 20 or, you know, 28 to 15 or something like that. But Biden's not going to be able to raise it more than what it was during the Obama administration. And guess what? You know, for the eight years of Obama's administration, that was the first eight years of the longest bull market in history. And those companies had a high domestic corporate tax rate. But what these multinational companies can do is sort of like tax law arbitrage. You know, they're, if you look at Apple, they're in almost every country in the world and they have tons of money and smart attorneys and CPAs and accountants. And they're going to, all these companies are going to be able to figure out ways to skirt around the corporate tax rate hiking. I remember when President Trump did get elected and the, there was a big emphasis on getting companies to repatriate their funds. And I think it was, I don't know if Apple had three or 30 billion or three, but I don't know what it was, but they had a, a large sum of money sitting somewhere in Europe. And it was a big deal that they were going to bring it home and they were going to pay some lower reduced corporate tax rate on it. Well, guess what? If the tax rate goes back up, all these companies are going to start moving their money overseas again. Look at Carnival Cruise Lines. All their ships are registered in the Bahamas. You know, because the, the tax rate is lower there. And, you know, whatever. They're, they're, they're still getting money from the government as part of the PPP and, you know, all these different programs. And, and these companies specifically Carnival, have avoided taxes, uh, which is their obligation to shareholders. I get it. They're creating shareholder value. But to say that the corporate tax rate going up is, is going to have a negative impact on the equity markets, I don't think it's true. You know, these companies have the ability to move money around 
uh, pretty much at will to whatever company, whatever country is going to give them the, the, the best tax situation. The other thing that he got me thinking about was creating thinking and having an idea in your head of uh, a portfolio for what happens if Joe Biden gets elected. Obviously, I think you'll see a bigger uh, emphasis on green energy, so uh, solar companies and renewable energy companies will benefit from things like this. Um, Coal companies will not, right? President Trump has made a big deal about keeping coal, the coal industry alive, and I don't think, you know, if a Democrat comes in, those, those regulations might get rolled back. I'd love some suggestions on other industries that you think would win or lose under Trump or Biden. You can reach us at stockbytespodcast at gmail.com. But what I want to pose to you guys, is there such a thing as a a political portfolio, whether it's a Republican or whether it's a Democrat, this is still going to be an area of focus and an area of growth uh, in our country for the next decade. And I think there's a couple of interesting things that, that just thinking critically, you go, yeah, 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 that, that makes total sense. 5G. 5G is going to happen in this country whether or not a Republican or a Democrat is president. Now, I think the, the, on the f- face value, you go, yeah, that, that benefits Verizon and AT&T. I have Verizon. We just got 5G in our house. I don't have to pay anymore. All I had to do was upgrade my modem, and uh, voila, there it was. So I don't know how much of a, a revenue impact that is for a company like Verizon right now. Uh, I think you could definitely see some secondary effects down the road as um, you know, more apps are created, more technologies created, and you know, more people are coming online. But... I don't know that 5G launching specifically helps AT&T and and Verizon right now. But uh, Nokia, Ericsson, right? We were in this huge fight with Huawei, banning Huawei, and they're spying for the Chinese. Well, Nokia is a Canadian company. We have a pretty good relationship with them. Ericsson is a Swedish company. I think we have a pretty, pretty good relationship with them especially all these billionaires who are hiding all all their money over there. So two companies like that who are uh, critical to building the infrastructure for 5G are going to continue to to benefit regardless of whether or not it's a uh, Republican or Democrat. I think you could also look at, and look, I've been selling things based off, look, 5G is coming for over a year. If you look at uh, these tower companies, Crown Castle, uh, American Tower. They basically own the um, what you call them the the wire towers uh, in all these cities, and they lease out spaces to Verizon and AT and T so they can broadcast their signal. Those have had huge run ups uh, over the last couple of years, and I don't know if that's played out or not, but I, I tend to think not. the The four G, you know, something like Uber could not have existed on three G. Just the 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 technology wasn't quick enough or deep enough or whatever the correct word is, but it, it wasn't sufficient for companies like Uber. And and when 4G came out, you saw a four to five year growth rate for in, in how, how do I say this? It was like four or five years of growth, right? New companies coming up uh, because of this new technology. And that same sort of thing is going to happen with 5G once it is launched and, and set up everywhere. Another thing that's apolitical uh, is cybersecurity. Companies like Crowdflare or Fiserv, or, you know, 
I don't know a, a ton of them right now, but I need to. Um, you know, regardless of who is the president, cybersecurity is going to become uh, is is going to continue to grow, and especially as five G launches and you have all these new applications, it's going to be even more important than ever. So, researching companies in in that industry, I think it's a pretty good idea, regardless of who's going to be president. You know, and, and this is just my last one. Uh, again, I would love ideas here, but this transition from hard currency to digital currency is going to continue to accelerate. Now, now you have the, like with the backing of the coronavirus, I don't want to touch a dollar bill. I mean, there's, there's so many germs on those things and you know, who knows where it's been. So companies like Square, uh, PayPal, uh, Visa, MasterCard, hell, Bitcoin. You know, these are, I think, three industries that are, are primed to excel no matter who's the president. And I think those are pretty good investments right now. So anyway, big shout out to all the compliance department people out there for um, you know, continuing just to impress. I'd really challenge you, you know, for, for your young, let's just say that you're the compliance department of a, a broker dealer and, and you have financial advisors. For a financial advisor, for a young financial advisor, starting a podcast, building their brand, learning, uh, you know, how to communicate their ideas effectively and and reach people, and it's a great idea. It's going to make once they figure this out, once they figure out that they can make money on it, a through advertising, but b through just the marketing. And look, I'm I'm talking to people who I haven't met, and I've building, I'm building an audience. And if I was a financial advisor, I would think that that would be important to me. And that would increase my business down the road instead of decrease it. So figure out a way to make it happen. People are changing their, the way that they intake information. And, you know, our, this industry, the compliance departments, and they're so scared, they're so timid, and they're typically run by old white men. Anyway, thanks for letting me ramble at you for 20 minutes. Uh, I hope to be back on Friday just with a couple of things that are interesting to me in the markets. And next Monday, we'll be back with another Robin Hood recap. Love you guys. High your shoes, got a red dress on. Gonna light the fuse, stay out till dawn. Whistle blows at the factory downtown. He changes his clothes.